podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. And welcome back to the Rock Shock Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Mitz. Today we are doing our final season preview. Uh, we did the one we normally do with Scott Chasen uh, last week. And so this week we have our other normal season previewer in Jesse Newell of the Kansas City Star coming to join us today. Jesse, how you doing? Doing all right. Doing all right. How about yourself? I'm doing pretty good. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I wasn't sure if we were going to get this in because I kind of was slacking a little bit with the not wondering or not, uh, you know, sure if we were actually going to get the season in. But I looked up and I realized, oh, wait a minute, I've got like a week and a half <laughs> before the season starts. So let's sneak these in real quick. Um, what What do you think is, I mean, obviously the, the, the COVID-19 changed a whole lot of different things. But what do you think is like the biggest impact to come out of having to deal with COVID-19 and having all of our schedules kind of jumbled and in question until the last minute. <laughs> yeah, it's sort of fascinating. Um, you know, for Kansas, honestly, just big picture, this could really work out well, depending on how the athletic department comes out the back of it, because we know the big struggle for KU has been trying to make up for their scholarship discrepancy for so long. And, you know, Les Miles took his 25 man freshman recruiting class last year to try to get KU out of that hole. But if the NCAA really does follow through with the this doesn't count as a year of eligibility rule, um, you know, Kansas basically gets sort of a get out of jail free card if they can return some of these guys and some of these juniors and seniors, or especially the seniors, I guess, want to come back for another year next year. All of a sudden, KU kind of has the the playing field leveled off a little bit when it sure looked like they were going to need a couple years to sort of dig themselves out of the hole that had been, uh, you know, kind of put there by previous coaching previous coaches that tried JUCOs and kick players off a team, all those sorts of things. So um, this could be great for Kansas, honestly, for the long term. But for the short term, it's just been, you know, there's been so many disruptions and there's been so many questions. And uh, I guess now, as we're talking, three Big 12 games have been canceled because of COVID. And we'll see if Kansas and Coastal Carolina does get get through this weekend. But even with that, um, I'll be kind of fascinated to see how these games go off because, just because you can play a game doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to have your full complement of players or it's going to be sort of a normal game. And even following Vegas lines has been sort of interesting just to see like sometimes these lines are shifting by four or five points for no apparent reason. And it sure seems like maybe some of these teams are still dealing with COVID and might have to put cornerbacks at receiver or, or defensive linemen at offensive line or whatever the case may be. So yeah, it's, it's very, very strange to start off the season this late. It's strange to, maybe see rosters jumbled up a little bit, but the bottom line, as we know, is it's going to be about wins and losses still. And uh, we'll see what teams can kind of stay healthy and what teams can thrive in this sort of strange setting. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely going to be weird and kind of what you're talking about the long term. Like, I don't know that it necessarily fixes the long term if they can get enough of these guys to stay, because then it's still potentially like, you know, in four years, you're going to have two classes that are going to run out of eligibility in the same year and a freshman class. And then next year's freshman class as well. Um, because all those freshmen are going to get that extra year of eligibility. Uh, you know, I, I mean, obviously there's like red shirts to kind of help stagger that. And you normally have a little bit of attrition anyway. So if they, if they play it right, if they, if they really worry about roster management the way they need to, that's a, you know, a, a potential problem that doesn't actually have to happen as long as you're paying attention. The problem has been, we haven't been able to get a coach who gets into years, you know, four or five, without worrying so much about their job that they start to look for those quick fixes. And so that's what it's really going to be about is that Les Miles, you know, I think he's going to have this ability just because he is Les Miles, but um, 
you know, I, I mean, as long as as long as we're not into a situation where Les feels the pressure that he absolutely has to win because he doesn't want to, you know, lose the job in year four or five, like I think we're going to be set up really well. And you know, he's got enough of a vision that like I don't think he's going to he's going to cave to that kind of pressure that we saw a guy like David Beatty who was on his first coaching job, you know, really tr- trying to hold on to that as long as he possibly could. And so, ultimately, I do think it sets them up for the for the long term, but. Um, it definitely is still something that needs to be managed for the short term. You're right. Like it messed with everybody's development short term wise, but I do think that Kansas was extremely smart in scheduling a week zero game as, as soon as they had the opportunity so they could get started with camp earlier than everyone else uh, or just as early as everyone else and take advantage of basically those extra two weeks that they wouldn't have gotten elsewhere, you know, otherwise. And so that really allowed them, I think, to get as much extra practice time as you could to try to make up for the fact that there was no spring. Um, it's definitely going to be a really weird season. And while I do think that you're right to an extent that, you know, wins and losses are going to be important at a place like Kansas, I almost think that the loss of non-conference games kind of takes a lot of the pressure off because it's unrealistic. I think at this point to expect Kansas to win two or three big 12 games, you know, in addition to this game against coastal Carolina, which isn't going to be a gimme game. Like I think last or coming into the year, if we had all the non-conference games, the expectation might've been three wins. Um, I think at this point now with everything kind of going crazy and the, you know, the, the realization that Kansas might be without a bunch of players for a particular game that might've been winnable. Like I, I think, you know, two wins is the the highest, I think your expectation could be for this team. Any, any thoughts about what this does for Kansas's specifically expectations for this year though? Well, I, I think you're talking well, and you're talking informed. I think the problem <laughs> is that, most Kansas football fans are not informed. You know what I mean? Like I, for a long time, and this is, this is, this is not a criticism. KU football hasn't deserved the loyal fans that they have, you know, they haven't won more than three games in 12 years. That's stunning. It's remarkable. They have the longest bowl skid of any team out there in division one FBS. I mean, it's, it's crazy. So I agree with everything you said, which is, Hey, you go from three, non-conference games and not only that three winnable non-conference games when you had to start off with new hampshire home against boston college who you beat last year and then at coastal carolina who you know big revenge game yeah should have beat last year and it's their first time they've ever hosted a power five team yeah i mean that you could be set up if things fell right even with a rebuilding year to get yourself to three or four wins so but but now yeah the 10 game schedule only one non-con and then the Big 12 slate, which is going to be difficult just because sort of like last year, it's going to be tough for KU to not be a double-digit underdog in any of these games. The, the the road and home games are kind of also spaced so that the easiest, quote, teams that they would potentially play against, the Texas Techs and the West Virginias, are coming on the road. And some of, you know, the, the games that weren't winnable anyway are coming at home. So, yeah, it's it's difficult. I, I, I agree with you, and that was my – preseason prediction for the season was KU to get two wins and even then you're sort of um you're kind of just banking on one of those games to be an upset you just figure that KU has a 25% chance to win this one and a 10% chance to win this one and a 15% chance to win this one I'm talking about big 12 games and you add all those up and at some point they're probably going to have a chance to to come away with a victory in one of those big 12 games so yeah you give them the Coastal Carolina game if it happens and then you give them one upset in a big 12 game and that's probably a pretty good season considering the circumstances we just talked about. Listen, KU needed to fill spots at secondary. They needed to fill spots at defensive line. They needed to fill spots at offensive tackle. 
they needed to fill spots at quarterback with immediate contributors. And Les Miles went out and got 25 freshmen. And that was undoubtedly the right move for the program. But what that does is it puts you at a short-term uh, discrepancy when you're trying to go up against Big 12 opponents. So sort of like last year, you know, when KU was throwing Gavin Potter in there at linebacker when he wasn't really ready and he was running left when he was supposed to run right, there's going to be a lot of those scenarios on the field this year where KU is going to put out players against Big 12 competition that simply aren't ready physically or mentally for uh, this particular sort of level of play. That could help them in 2022. It could help them in 2023, but it probably is going to create some growing pains in 2020. So that's that's a difficulty for Kansas, and I think everything you said is correct. Uh, I just I sort of doubt that every KU football fan is going to tune in on Saturdays and know all of those details. I mean, it's been 12 years. I'm sure the casual fan is thinking, why in the heck can't Kansas win four football games when they won three last year? And I, you know, a lot of people perceive Les Miles as a good coach. You know, why can't they just go out there and win games like every other Big 12 team? It's a little more complicated than that. They kind of set up for the long term, and I think it was the right move. But as I mentioned, it could kind of cause some short-term pain here uh, in the short term just because of uh, some of the roster discrepancy and talent discrepancy they're going to face in this particular season. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I definitely agree. There's going to be a lot of pain. At least, you know, the big, the big I guess, solve there that you might get to help with some of that pain is the fact that there's a lot of excitement around Brent Deerman and the offense that he's potentially going to bring. Um, you know, I, I talked, I've talked about this with quite a few other people in the past, but you know, there's always kind of that worry when, when Les Miles is there, you know, you, you hear this from the LSU people all the time, that no matter who the offensive coordinator is, he's going to put his stamp on that offense and not let them do what they're supposed to be doing. But everything I've heard about Brett Dearman, everything I've heard about the relationship that they have and the way the duties are, are really split up at this point, it seems like this is going to be Brent Dearman's offense to run that yes, Les Miles might have some some input on sorts of things he might want to do in certain situations, but for the most part, it's going to be Brent Dearman's show. Um, it, have you heard anything to the contrary or like, I mean, and, and if that's the case that he actually gets to, you know, run it this year, like, is that where all the excitement comes from? The fact that he's going to be able to take a extremely talented group of skilled position players and try to mesh them with a quarterback that can run the system he wants and, you know, hopefully have a extremely, productive offense this year yes uh so uh, a lot of things going on there so yes Brent Deerman is the great hope for Kansas along with the skill position players they have obviously you know Puka Williams Andrew Parchment uh, Stephon Robinson and I think you throw Emmett Jones the receivers coach into that mix where you say hey those two guys really came together collaborated and found something with the passing game last year that worked for Kansas now, you know, in talking with, um, you know, Carter Stanley for a Brent Deerman story I just ran for our KU football preview section last week, he talked about how Emmett Jones and Brent Deerman kind of came together for the passing game, whereas Luke Meadows and Les Miles came together for some of the run game concepts. And I think that kind of leads you to what we can talk about here, which is Les Miles has a history of saying he's going to let his coordinator do what they want to do. And then when things don't go well, he has a history of tinkering and getting back involved with the process and so it's nice here in the offseason to say yes Les Miles has learned his lesson he's going to let Brent Neerman run the offense that he wants to run the reality is it's happened so many times with Les Miles that that has been the message and that has not been delivered through and all of a sudden you're seeing the same toss sweep that gets run a thousand times against Coastal Carolina where KU loses the game 12 to 7 last year so I guess I'll believe it when I see it but I think that is the sort of fear you would have if you're looking at this 
from a KU perspective or from a KU fan perspective is that Les Miles just won't be able to help himself again. And part of the reason he got fired from LSU is because he's so stubborn and because he doesn't let things go. He doesn't let his coaches coach. So that along with, you know, I do want to say this. There is a lot of excitement with Brent Deerman, and rightfully so, because KU's offense in those last six games, in certain instances, the Texas game, the Iowa State game, I mean, they were doing things that we just have not seen from Kansas teams in a long, long time. However, there also were three games when Kansas really sunk up the joint. You know, that K-State game, that was a sellout at home. Uh, that was not good. And Baylor at home, that last game of the season, was awful. And at Oklahoma State, when they were sh- shuffling around quarterbacks, I mean, there were some bad moments in there, too. It was either really good or really bad. So, um, you know, it sure seems like for the people you talk to, um, the people have worked for, with Brent Deerman in the past, they think he's a superstar. They think he's a future Power 5 head coach. He has the personality for it. He has the X's and O's. He has the motivational skills. And I tend to think that those people are probably right because in my interactions with Brent Deerman, I've been just as, pressed and as impressed as those people are as well. I will just say that, yeah, it's only been six games. So, you know, you, you don't know absolutely for sure. And uh, we also know in the past that KU has had hotshot offensive coordinators. You know, they've had guys that have come in with great accolades. And sometimes it just doesn't work out at Kansas for whatever reason. So I think that is really what you look at for Kansas. And one of my bold predictions for the season was that KU was going to average its highest point total in a decade. So I guess I'm sort of drinking the Kool-Aid with the Brent Deerman and the skill position offense, even without them knowing or having security at tackle position, even without them knowing exactly who their quarterback's going to be, or at least releasing that information. I still think this Kansas team can put up some points and it's going to put up some points, but um, the upside of the football, I'm sure we'll get to that's pretty scary for KU and it's pretty scary for a lot of reasons. Yeah, that's definitely a really scary thing. Um, You actually kind of mentioned it talking about, you know, and and I've seen it all over the place and I believe you actually put an article about it too, uh, about the quarterback situation and, how well they have not really named one, and they seem to be kind of hinting that, you know, maybe two different quarterbacks will play. Um, how, how realistic do you actually think it is that they will give significant time to multiple quarterbacks without us getting into, like, a blowout situation in this game? It, it doesn't seem to be the kind of style that, that Les Miles would have, especially considering, you know, last year, it seemed like it was a neck-and-neck race all the way up until, you know, beginning or the first game of the season, and then Carter Stanley started every single game for the rest of the year. So like, is there, is there a lot of worry potentially that we could have a true quarterback battle brewing and continuing through the season? Or do you think it's kind of just the coach speak that we've seen now multiple times from several different coaches and that we honestly seemed like we saw it last year from Les Miles as well. Yeah. And I don't mean to, I don't mean this to be sound negative or uh, be disparaging, but I think Les Miles plays games. You know what I mean? Like I, I, There was this one mile to go episode where he's talking with his daughter smacker and she had just gone on a radio interview before he was hired or just after he was hired. And he basically talked to her about the art of talking in public settings without saying anything to media members and how it's sort of like a game to him and how you perfect the art as you go along. And so um, I, I'm just going to be truthful and honest with you. Like less miles does not reveal much and that's on purpose. And so when he said last week that he probably was going to take one quarterback and stick with him and not rotate quarterbacks, and he says this week, oh, he's probably going to rotate quarterbacks. Um, I, I'm more inclined to believe the first thing he said rather than game week when he potentially could be trying to play coy and try to get Coastal Carolina to think about more than one quarterback. So I'm with you. The evidence to me is what he did last season. And besides 
those weird quarters late in the season when his son played um, for, you know, a little stretch of time there in the Oklahoma State game, they basically rolled with Carter Stanley and they did not go back and forth between him and Thomas McVitie. So um, if you're making me guess here, I'm going to say that KU starts the guy. They probably already know the guy and he's going to get every opportunity to play. The other thing you have to keep in, keep in mind when we're, when we're talking about miles to go, when Brent Deerman took over the, the offensive coordinator job and they showed that scene, the first thing he did was call Carter Stanley. And he basically right. said in the speech that they put in the documentary, like, Hey, look, I was a quarterback once. I know I've been in your shoes and I know what it's like when you don't feel like the guy has confidence in you. So the first thing I want to do is call you and let you know that you're my guy. I'm rolling with you and my confidence is in you. And so I'm um, even going to that with Brent Deerman. It makes me think that unless something goes wrong, and again, we know if, if somebody's thrown six interceptions, you're going to go to the next guy. Like that's, 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 that's common sense, obviously. But Right. Um, from knowing what I know about Brent Deerman, from seeing what happened last year with Les Miles, I'm more inclined to believe that Les Miles is just sort of playing games this week. I think we'll see a quarterback start for Kansas, and if he plays well or just at least doesn't play horribly, I think you're going to see him for the entire game, and they're going to try to find one quarterback like they did in the 2019 season. Yeah, also kind of to your point about how Les Miles likes to play games with the media, he didn't do nearly as much of that last year, and I think part of that was kind of just settling back into the job You've definitely, like, he had his moments last year, but I think in, in the interviews that I've watched and kind of his media appearances that I've seen, he definitely seems to have kind of opened up and gotten a lot more back into the kind of persona that he would project while he was at LSU, especially towards the end there. And so, you know, I definitely think that there's, there's going to be a lot more of that. We're going to get back to the old West a lot more than we used to, than, than we actually saw last year. Um, but, but to your point about Brent Deerman you know, calling, I don't know that there was necessarily concerned that you know Carter Stanley wasn't the guy um you know prior to that I think it was more of a like hey we're going to set this up immediately so that you know that nothing is changing because that's one of the big concerns when you know you get a new offensive coordinator is is he going to kind of see everything the same way that the previous guy did like if I had a safe starting job previously do I have that safe starting job now and we I mean we, we saw that when Thomas McVitie came in you know he was Chip Lindsay's guy he was recruited by Chip Lindsay and came for that and then Chip Lindsay left immediately and, you know, everything changed and it seemed like they kind of evaluated the quarterbacks a lot differently after that. And from everything, you know, that I've heard, you know, as much as Les was saying that it was a neck and neck race all camp um, and that but, but that McVitie seemed to kind of be the guy, you know, early, it, it seemed from everything that I've heard that Carter Stanley was a favorite a lot earlier than they let on. Um, and it was pretty clear, you know, well before the season started that Carter Stanley was going to be the starter barring some sort of miraculous issue uh you know or, or some some horrible issue that, that came up and so i think we're in a similar situation here where they've already probably identified the guy they know who they're going with but they just don't want to give the information out and i, I think it's going to be really hard to get any of that kind of information we're going to have to look at what they do on the field and can't really do that when you know no practices are open and they haven't had any of the you know public facing stuff that they've had in the past because of covid so this has definitely been a weird year to try to gauge this information. It's made it a lot harder for us to really do the previews the way we normally like to, because there's really just not a lot of information out there. So, No, there's not. And uh, you, you know, we just talked about the topic, but that kind of leads back to the original thing we just said, uh, or we just discussed, which is if Brent Dearman's making this call, I think it happens one way. I think he gets one guy, he settles in with that guy. He gets the guy he trusts. He's going to give him all the rope he needs. But like I said, toward the end of last season, some weird stuff started happening. <laughs> and then all yeah. of a sudden, when everybody thought that Thomas McVitie was the backup, 
Manny Miles is playing. And, you know, I mean, if we look back now with hindsight, wouldn't it have made more sense to get Thomas McVitie a few reps if you thought potentially he was going to be your quarterback in 2020? And so, again, it could lead us to the thought, which is like, who made that call? You know, who made the call to play the coach's son instead of the guy who was supposed supposedly, you know, the clear backup throughout the course of the rest of the season? So um, I think we're sort of talking in circles here about is Les Miles, going to, <laughs> is Les Miles going to keep him with himself out of the offense? Is he going to let Brent Nearman do his job? If so, how are they going to handle the quarterback? And if they don't handle the quarterback that way and do some weird things, is Les Miles, once again, tinkering with the offense. So, again, yeah, we, we kind of – you kind of have this circular logic, if you will. Um, but like I said, it, it sure seems from the outside looking in that uh, Les Miles would be – it would behoove him to let Brent Nearman run the offense, let him do what he does, let him pick his quarterback, let him roll with that guy, and see where it goes from there. Because there were some moments in the last six games where, as I said, Kansas was doing some things it hasn't done in the last decade. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, and, you know, I, I will say I can kind of forgive that a little bit in that it's the last opportunity for, you know, his son to play for his father. Like, at the end of a season like that where you have to go to another quarterback, especially if, you know, especially if they're either not sure that he's going to be the quarterback next year or they don't necessarily think that, you know, coming into a blowout like that is going to give him any kind of meaningful reps and it's just not for, like, I can come up with all kinds of reasons to give him the benefit of the doubt for that, but um, obviously we don't have enough experience with less the helm of the Jayhawks to really be able to, you know, stay one way or another. I'm sure, you know, that we're going to, a couple years down the road, we're probably gonna be able to say that that either was nothing to worry about at all, or it's going to kind of been early signs of a problem that we should have recognized before that. So, well, I will, I will uh, say, but, this. I will say this. He came in pretty early in the Oklahoma state game and Les Miles is getting paid $3 million to help Kansas. You know what I mean? He's not getting paid $3 million to, no, true, true. Play his son. So, um, again. But if might, I remember right, at that point, Carter Stanley had already thrown, I thought, two interceptions or something at that point. And McVitie came in first, and the only pass that he threw was an interception, although I believe that was on, like, a trick play. So, I mean, it's not like any of the quarterbacks were really doing very well at all <laughs> in that particular game. So Yeah, you, you still understand what I'm saying. I mean, we no, talked no, no, about I do. guys in the race throughout the whole offseason, and then all of a sudden when Kansas goes to its backup quarterback, they go to their third string quarterback um, oh yeah and, no no i even, completely understand you know, that even if, even if you're looking long term you know you potentially could say hey thomas mcgritty would be helped if he had 10 or 15 reps instead he had that one play as you mentioned on the trick play where he threw an interception and you sort of are kind of starting with from scratch from him uh when it comes to this season so i i mean listen then we are talking about minor 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 things in a season preview but um like i said it's just something to monitor it's something to watch because uh, I, I think those two men I'm talking about Brent Deerman and Les Miles see things in a different way and do things in a different way. And so um, I, I think it'll be pretty evident from outsiders looking in, even if it's not spoken, even if it's not said, if there's a little bit of a clash going on there. And I think there are at least some signs to look back at last year to kind of realize when those sorts of things were happening then as well. Yeah. Yeah. I, the final thing I'll say on this, like, I think this year will go a long way to telling us whether Les Miles has actually learned his lesson from what happened at his previous stops. If he gives Brent Dearman the leash that he needs to run the offense the way he wants, that will tell us a lot and, and could potentially set the tone for what happens in the next few years. And, you know, what Kansas looks for at the end of the Les Miles term and into the next one, whoever ends up being, you know, the, the next head coach there. So, all right, I do want to shift over to the defense, kind of like you hinted at earlier. But before we do that, I need to throw it to a quick break. We'll be right back on the Rock Talk podcast. And we're back. All right, so we've 
kind of talked about the offense and all the important parts of the offense. I mean, I think we, we could talk a little bit about the offensive line, but I did cover that quite a bit with, with uh, Scott last week. And, you know, really the only thing to say there is that there's a bunch of guys that don't have a whole bunch of experience, um, but that they're hoping they can piece something together there. So on the defense, there's a whole lot of brand new guys. You know, I think the only notable name really to return um, would be Drew Prox. And honestly, it's notable just because he was expected to be a breakout star for them last year and got injured early in the season. Um, which, as you mentioned earlier, thrust Gavin Potter into a very prominent role that he ne- wasn't necessarily ready for. Um, coming into the season, though, you know, are there are there any p- specific players that you're looking to to take a huge leap forward that were in this lineup last year? Yeah, I, I mean, I think you start with Stephen Parker. You know, obviously four star out of high school, kind of the the gem of the recruiting class when he came in, and a lot of people including coaches, I think, thought he could come in and kind of be an immediate contributor, and that just uh, didn't really pan out last year. But word is from camp, uh, at least from the people that we talked to, is that he's made big strides and, um, you know, is kind of picking things up a lot quicker. So uh, that sort of outside linebacker position, if he can create a pass rush, I think that's obviously uh, a position where KU could get a lot better and could, could help them out. You know, I Kyle Mayberry, to me, seems sort of an obvious one, too. He's Another guy, I mean, a few years ago, he was one of the top recruits coming into the program. And, you know, it seems like his tenure at Kansas has been really, really long because of that. I think I talked to him as a high school senior back when I was at the Topeka Capital Journal, <laughs> still covering for them. So, I mean, it seems like he's been at Kansas forever. But, yeah, as a, as a senior and as a guy that they sort of need to rely upon because all the other secondary guys are gone, it seems like maybe he can be sort of a, a setting force. And, you know, I this is kind of a, just a personal thing, but you kind of, for guys like that, it, it would be good to see success just because they have worked their way up and they have kind of paid their dues. And I'm um, talking with Kyle again from those early days. He's been a good personality, a happy face, kind of gone through things and, and kept a smile on his face. And so if he is able to see some success, I think that, uh, you know, that'd be good personally for him, obviously, just a, a kid that's kind of stuck around and, and been able to, uh, to work his way to this particular spot. But those would probably be the main two, and it's it's just so interesting because the KU put out its first depth chart, and I don't think there's a lot of surprises, but I did a, uh, a an interview with Sirius Radio here earlier this week, and uh, one of the guys basically talking to me said, uh, on paper, this defense looks pretty bad. <laughs> and, um, you know, that's, that's that's again, I'm not trying to be bolts and board material for Kansas or, or have the defense, you know, put this up on their lockers to motivate them or whatever but there's just not many returners there's not many proven guys and there's just not much experience and all those things you combine that with it just simply being Kansas to begin with uh yeah it could get pretty scary and I talked about how I was really high on the offense coming into the season Uh, yeah one of my bold predictions is that this defense is probably going to give up 40 plus a game and could be the worst in FBS just because UMass isn't playing um, because of COVID. Right. They up there 52 points per game. And um, this one, especially playing nine Big 12 opponents, we know how high-flying the offenses are. Uh, yeah, I mean, just on paper. Again, on paper, this doesn't look good. This, this looks like it could be a lot of growing pains on the defensive end. And you combine that with the schedule. You combine that with the Big 12 offenses. And uh, it's very difficult to see this defense improving from what it was last year. Yeah, no, I I definitely agree there. I mean, I also think specifically, you know, the fact that they have basically lost all of their defensive back starters um, 
for what one one reason or another. I mean, they had three of them that were seniors, and then Corian Harris, who was expected to take a huge step forward, ran into some legal issues, and as far as I know, is no longer on the team at all. Not that he's suspended or anything, but he's just no longer with them. Correct me if I'm wrong there, but um, you know, like so the what they what was the strength of this team last year in that defensive secondary is absolutely unproven and has you know not really sure where all the production is going to come from they've got to get it from someone so the hope is that they can kind of settle in and not having had spring ball or the vast majority of you know the stuff they would have done during the summer has i think really hurt the development of that particularly um you know that unit and that can be a huge problem in the big 12 where you know we saw how many times they got burned deep just because guys were kind of sneaking up to try to help shore up the front seven last year. But if you have guys that can't really run deep or unproven back there, they'll just get burned, you know, down the field all the time, which is going to be a big problem for this team. Um, you know, especially if the offense can't, you know, keep up their end of the bargain and score pretty much every time they have the ball. Like I see Kansas going to be in a lot of shootouts this year. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of funny because I, I, I agree with you. They're probably going to give up the most if not one of you know or one of the most if not the most uh average points per game in all of football this year because of how many teams are playing but i also think that they could probably be one of the most explosive offenses this year as well just because of all the skill position players that they have and but there's gonna be a lot of pressure on this offense to score every time they get the ball because the defense could very well give up points every single time that the opponent has the ball as well yeah and corian harris uh still working through the legal stuff i don't think he's officially off the team um, they might get him back at some point, but, you know, some very serious charges and seri- very serious things he has to, to go through based off of, you know, a, a weapons, um, you know, a, a, an arrest on, a, you know, allegation of having weapons and also drugs in his car uh, coming back uh, and, you know, being pulled over in Missouri. So we'll see what comes of that. But Les Miles has not ruled out a return to, to Kansas for him. So we'll see if he does play a factor in that depth chart. Um, depending on, you know, how the legal system plays out. But, yeah, it's, you know, and you, you take for what it's worth. But, yeah, you know, you hear kind of whispers outside of camp. And um, the secondary is basically what you'd expect when there's true freshmen on the depth chart. I mean, right. you don't want true freshmen starting at cornerback to begin with. But you definitely don't want true freshmen to start in the Big 12. And, you know, you're looking at Deuce Mayberry. I mean, he's been one of the highlights that people have talked about. True freshman. Second on the depth chart, Karan Prunty. I mean, he's been lauded as one of the best recruits that Les Miles brought in, but he's number one on the depth chart. True freshman. I, it's that's scary. You know, it's it's we've all seen it before. I mean, you just have you you, you see the guy that gets burned because he's a true freshman and he sees something he's never seen before, and the guy streaks down the sideline right by him, and and that happens. And um, that's there's that, and then. I talked with, you know, on our Sports BKC podcast uh, we do for the Star, We I was talking with Kellis Robinette, the K-State guy, and uh, our beat writer for the Wichita Eagle and Kansas State Star, he talked about how a lot of people are talking about K-State doesn't have many returning starters, but he kind of countered that with, hey, they've got a lot of guys who played a lot of snaps last year, so the returning starters don't matter as much as returning experience. Well, when you talk about right. the defensive line for KU – they don't return either of those. Like they lost all their starters and they lost all their experience because the guys that are on the depth chart now weren't able to really crack the depth chart a year ago. And so that's, that's scary. And again, that, that's, that's where, again, if this was four years ago, six years ago, seven years ago, 
KU would have gone out recruiting and they would have brought in six or seven Juco guys. You know, they would have brought in a, a defensive tackle that could have played right away and a defensive end who could have played in right away and maybe another defensive end who could have played right away. And it's really tough to to bring those guys in as freshmen because you got to bring them in. And, and if you're Kansas, you're not Oklahoma, you can't bring in the guys that are 310 and ready to play. You got to bring in the guys that are 260 that you put on 40 pounds and have them develop in your weight program. And and that just means you're if you're not ready, you're going to get moved by Big 12 offensive linemen. It's just a reality. You know, if you're 280 instead of the three, 300 or 310 you need to be, it's going to be tough. So, um, yeah, that's the reality of both ends of that spectrum. And we just talked about the linebackers. I mean, Drew Prox was their best defender through four games before he had his shoulder surgery last year. But outside of that, they're sort of, you know, question marks. Tyron Johnson kind of keeps switching positions. So he's, uh, uh, you know, he's been somewhat productive. But um, can they kind of keep him? an outside linebacker instead of inside linebacker, that sort of thing. And, um, you know, Denzel Feaster been on and off, on and off. And then I mentioned Gavin Potter and Jay Deneen, uh, you know, they were thrown in the mix, but they had mixed results. You know, some of the PFF grades that they were getting after games was kind of not safe for work just because uh, of certain plays where it seemed like they were kind of the ones that were going in the wrong direction. So again, this is not disparaging anyone. These guys are getting thrown out there before they're ready, but, that's sort of the 2020 defense for you for Kansas, at least at this point, at least of what we know at this point, which is probably a bunch of guys are going to get thrown out there before they're ready. And um, especially starting with the second game in big 12, you know, when it starts big 12 play, that's not an enviable position to be in. And it could be a very difficult position to be in when you're going up against other big 12 offenses. Yeah, definitely. I mean, kind of to kind of hammer the point home. Like I think, you know, I'm, I'm looking at the depth chart or I'm sorry, just the roster and defensive line. They've got, they've only have five upperclassmen that are in the defensive line. So people that aren't freshmen or redshirt freshmen. Um, and only one of them, I think, really actually played anything last year. And that was Malcolm Lee. Like, that's the only name that I actually recognize out of that group as having any kind of significant time. There may have been other guys that have cracked the field occasionally, but there wasn't really very much. But kind of to what you're talking about, you know, moving people over the field. Like last year, I thought Hassan Defense was much more natural as a safety um, but because they had two really good safeties on the field most of the time, he played out of position in a cornerback and played fairly well. But, you know, there's a lot of kind of fitting guys into positions that don't ne- that aren't necessarily their most natural position that they would excel the most at because they just have holes there and they need the guys to play. And I, I'm afraid that that's going to happen with a lot of these other guys, um, you know, that they have that have been on the roster for a while um, or even – some of the new guys, you know, they'll plug them into a position where it may not be the best position for them to develop at, but they're there because they have to be there because we don't have anybody else. And so that that's really the main worry I think you have when you have so many freshmen is that they haven't had an opportunity to really see where the best place for them to be playing is. Um, and so you do run the risk of spending an entire year in a position that they're just not cut out for and having to then shift them later. Um, so ho- hopefully they can minimize those as much as possible. DJ Elliott's got a lot to work with, but a lot that he's going to have to do to try to get everything sorted out and not having had the spring to really kind of help with that, um, you know, or even the early summer to help with that is going to put them behind the eight ball, I think, quite a bit. So, all right. So final question I have for you um, before, well, before we just briefly turn to Coastal Carolina, um, you know, Kansas obviously has a really big uphill battle in all of these games um, that they have, except for potentially the Coastal Carolina game. But, um, you know, if, if you're looking for one big upset that Kansas could potentially pull this year, um, you know, that would really kind of make headlines and give them a big boost, 
what team do you think is the most likely that they could actually pull that upset against? Yeah, KU's kind of got a difficult Big 12 schedule because the teams that you think they might have a chance against kind of at the bottom of the conference are the teams they play on the road. And then the teams that, you know, they're going to get blown out by no matter what are some of the teams that they get at home. So it's kind of like the opposite of what you would want if you were Kansas. But the one I picked in my preseason predictions were West Virginia was West Virginia. And, of course, if that happens, it would mark an end of KU's road Big 12 losing streak, which dates back to 2008. So um, I did call a couple of years ago the Central Michigan ending KU's, you know, then NCAA record road losing streak. I said KU would win that game, and they did. So I'm putting my money on that one. West Virginia just uh, not projected to be much better this year, uh, according to the S&P Plus and, you know, all the great work that Bill Connolly does with advanced stats. And so I figure you combine that with um, – you know, basically that a road game in the Big 12 could be with limited fans, could be with no fans. So maybe potentially you have a better chance of, of winning in a road environment. And uh, listen, you know, if you gave me straight up odds, obviously I would not pick Kansas in that game. But if you're asking me to pick one upset when he's got a 20% chance to win this game and a 15% chance to win this game, then go ahead and give me West Virginia. That's the second win I have on their schedule. And uh, we'll see how it plays out. And And obviously things will change between now and then. But at least at this point in the season, I think that's the one that might have the best chance of happening just based off the circumstances that are going on with this 2020 season. Yeah, I guess I messed that question up because what I should have said is which one is the best chance and why is it Texas? No, I've been <laughs> I've been hammering the I think Kansas is going to upset Texas this year um, all offseason. And so I, I can't stop at this point. But, you know, it's also kind of one of those things. I just don't believe in Texas as much as a lot of people do. I, I mean, like if you're putting odds on it, like I think. Whereas most people see that there's maybe a 5% chance Kansas beats Texas, I think it's maybe a 15% chance. And so, like, I, I still wouldn't pick them to actually do it. But if you're telling me that they're going to get some crazy upset this year after what they did to Texas last year and kind of all the, you know, up uproar that, that Texas has and kind of upheaval that they have on their coaching staff, like, it, it doesn't help that it's towards the end of the season. But, you know, I, I just – I for some reason, I just can't get that out of my head. I Like, I think that's where it's going to be. But – you know, to be completely honest, I don't think it's very likely that they're actually going to get any kind of upset. I wouldn't be surprised if they went 0-9 in conference play or if they were to beat, like, Texas Tech, um, you know, on the road or, you know, steal one maybe against TCU now that TCU doesn't have Duggan this year. Um, you know, so, like, I, I think it's one of those things where they could potentially kind of see one here and there. But, you know, if you're going if, if to go for one, you might as well go big. So that's why I put Texas down there. Anyway. Turning to this Coastal Carolina game, um, we're actually kind of almost out of time here, so I just wanted to ask you kind of briefly, you know, we already have your prediction for this game where you went game by game. Um, what's the one thing that Kansas fans should want to see from this game against Coastal Carolina if they have any hope for development this year, even if it's not necessarily a win? Like, obviously you want to see them win, but if you're looking at the actual mechanics of the game and wanting to get hope for progressing throughout the season, what's the one element of this game that you want to actually see happen? Well, more than seven points, you know, uh, <laughs> that was the bugaboo last year, you know, running um, six blockers into a nine man box, um, just pounding your head repeatedly against a brick wall and expecting different results. Uh, that really was the bugaboo for Kansas. And we know how that turned out the very next week. They um, basically went to the RPO offense and just rung it up on or ran it up on Boston College. But I mean, listen, it's cliche. It's what you're going to hear from most people, but it's what you hear from most people because it's true. Quarterback position yeah. is the most important position in sports. And so 
all eyes. It's why I keep writing about it. It's why Gary Bedore wrote about it today for us. It's why it's the most important thing because that player is so friggin' important. And so watch that quarterback. I mean, if Kansas has a guy who can execute and if Brent Deerman has a way for that guy to succeed or makes him better, as I wrote about in an article I posted last week, uh, how he's been able to do that in the past with quarterbacks, if that relationship works out, if that's able to lift Kansas offense, then that's the most important thing that can happen in that Coastal Carolina game. And you should be able to win that game pretty easily. Yep, that's right in line with what I was thinking. I was going to say at least two passing touchdowns, but I think we both have the kind of same idea there. So, all right, final question for you. You know, Kansas has 10 games on the schedule. What do you think the chances are that they actually play all 10 games, even if they have to maybe postpone one or two to later in the season? Give me a percentage chance. Well, based off of early early results here, probably not above 50%. Uh you know, it's interesting because it does make you wonder with everybody coming back to campus and kind of the cases spiking, if that means that there's going to be a lot of postponements early, but if kind of it's going to crest and then fall off. But, yeah, it's so difficult to, to anticipate. I guess I'll go about 25%. I can kind of hedge a little bit there. 25% they get all 10 games in, but um, we'll see. I mean, <laughs> I guess we're talking now um, and potentially down the line, the Coastal Carolina game could be canceled for for all we know. So that thing could uh, change in a hurry. I'll go 25% and the fact it hasn't happened yet. And maybe um, it'll continue to get better. The testing will continue to get better. Maybe that'll give hope that uh, all these games can get in. Yeah. I mean, I think if they get one or two postponed early, but it's like super early in the season and they can get them rescheduled, then there's a good chance that they can get them all in just because they're, you know, that motivated to get them all in. But, you know, I probably would put it about 55 or 60%. So We'll see. Hopefully we get the first few in and then don't see a huge spike so that we can avoid those kind of issues. So, all right, Jesse, thank you so much for joining me tonight. Where can everybody find your work online? Yep. At Jesse Newell. And then obviously uh, Kansas City Star, uh, KansasCity.com slash sports. And uh, if you need to search through Twitter, we have this, still have the sports pass link available. It gets you 30 bucks. 30 bucks is, gets you all the sports stories for the entire year. So it's the best deal we have. Yeah, I was going to tell you, I actually subscribed recently. I've been putting it off for a long time. And, man, I didn't realize how many stories I was actually missing out on by not subscribing and trying to find reasons to not do it. So <laughs> I definitely recommend you get in as quickly as you can, especially with you know stuff really ramping up. There's a lot of stories that you just you don't know you're missing, especially since information is so hard to come by um, You know, with all of the kind of shutdowns. So, all right. Well, Jesse, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you haven't already, please do go out wherever you get your podcast, whether it's Apple Podcasts. Spotify or any of the other ones that are out there, you can subscribe to us, give us a rating and a review. We'd really appreciate it. Um, Now that we're on Anchor, we actually have the ability for you to leave a message and be part of the show. So just go to anchor.fm slash rock-talk, I'm sorry, rock-chalk-podcast slash message, and you can leave us a voice message I can bring onto the show. We can react. We can have a discussion there uh, for whatever it is you guys want us to talk about. If you do have any questions, comments, suggestions, people you want to try to interview, anything like that, you can contact me by email at rockchalkpodcast.gmail.com or on Twitter at rockchalkpod. But that'll do it for tonight. Jesse, thanks again for joining me. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we will catch you guys next time on the Rock Chalk Podcast. Sports Social Podcast Network.